Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I am Ross. And I'm Gordon. Hi, Gordon. It's that time of the year again. Sometimes The most wonderful? The, and sometimes referred to as the silly season. <laughs> but you got grandkids. I've got a daughter that really enjoys putting up the Christmas tree and then never taking it down. Family photographers invariably want to get decent images of that tree with those lights and ornaments. But I also hear regularly that these photographs rarely work out. Have you encountered the same sort of complaints? Oh, yeah, pretty much every year. And I have to admit, pretty much with every photograph I've taken. Look beautiful when I look at them, but uh, not when the image comes out. So let's ask ourselves, why do we really want to photograph this tree? On the surface, it's pretty, but the challenge seems to be the dichotomy. Without the lights, the tree is just green. With the lights, the tree is obscured. And with the tree and the lights, we are left with a peculiar oddity that unless we can associate this with the reason for this happening, namely the symbols of the season, the mood and the reason for doing is sort of obscured. We can't have one without the other, and the whole story is involved in the communicating the mood and wanting the tree lights to be bright and colorful without losing the detail in the trees and where the wrapped presents are under the trees. So we seem to want everything, but we tend to forget what the subject is. I have to concur. At first pass, folks identify the tree as a subject, but in reality, the tree is not the subject itself. It's supporting content. Exactly. And the subject is actually the lights on the tree, and everything else supports the lights, be it the branches, the shiny ornaments, the presents, and those icicly things hanging down. Yes, the cats particularly like those icicly things. <laughs> it allows them to decorate their butts. <laughs> okay, let's say that the lights are the primary subject of the photographic exercise. What tool would you say is the most important one for great images of these lights? Okay, this some seemingly harmless question on how to photograph this pretty, albeit soon-to-be-dead tree, has just evolved into tips, trips, traps, and tricks. And I have to admit, I didn't really see this coming. So let's start with the obvious, after the camera, of course we are going to need to use a tripod. No argument for me, but please share why you determined this to be so. We talked about this dichotomy thing, and the amount of light that is being generated from the tree is very little, and while together they can provide a decent illumination, the concept behind them is they provide only a little light individually and come together as a light system. 
So that means that ultimately you're going to use a longer shutter speed. Now careful here because the first of the trips may be coming your way. And tra that trip is that even though the light amount as we see it or perceive it is a little, it's very easy to overexpose the lights. Well, in fact, that's one of the big complaints. I made this photograph of my tree and the lights were beautiful and they had all these colors. But then I look at it and oh, they're all blown out. And if we acknowledge that these are not overly bright lights, I want to get in front of the most common wrong thing that people will do, which is to say, oh, they're dim. It's low light. So I'll just jack the ISO up. You don't want to do that. You want to leave the ISO as long as possible because it's the color of these lights that is, in fact, the most relevant. And the first response to a longer shutter speed and the missing tripod, the tripod may not be missing, but sometimes it is, is to raise the ISO. And in this scenario, the operative word is don't do it. A higher ISO may reduce the shutter open duration, but color, saturation, density, color fidelity, they're all going to suffer. And those pretty lights just went blah. Now, you also pointed out that you've got a significantly different level of illumination between the brightness of the light itself and everything else. And that's going to make a challenging exposure scenario. Mm -hmm. What about other conditions that you see? Well, for me, I prefer to try to do this with no other lighting in the room at all. I, if, it's, if it's really dark, then I tend to use my uh, red light when I want to view the camera settings, just so that I'm not spending a lot of time trying to recoup my night vision. Um, an electronic release is almost necessary or using uh, the timer on the camera to trigger the, so that you are not introducing any more shake than is absolutely necessary. <clears throat> Doing all of this also simplifies the white balance when you're in post-processing. Well, I think you raise a very good point when you talk about white balance, because in fact, there is no preferred white balance for tree lights. Set your camera to automatic white balance and let her rip. This applies to any scene where the subject might be a menorah or other candlelit subject. You want the natural warmth. You want the image to be a little bit warm. And there's no preferred white balance for tree lights. First off, you don't know, even know what they're made of. Oh, they're LED lights. Terrific. Now we've only got 2,500 degrees of potential variance. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. So I would say that you want that natural warmth. And you know what? If you don't get it the way you like it in the image, that's easy to manipulate for more warmth or cool it down if you have to in post-processing on pretty much any device. Yeah, I have to admit this is true. So this topic brings us to the rest of what I've started to call the TTTNT that I mentioned earlier. So to refresh my memory about what I had done on previous occasions and 
uh, well, just as a general refresher course, I decided to shoot my dinky little tree in my living room. And I have to admit that all I proved by doing that is that I have a dinky little tree in my living room. So, dissatisfied with that, I went off and I shot a well-decorated house next door. It had wreaths and banners and gnomes and stuff. And I shot at various exposure compensation level. I shot at the indicated exposure and at minus one and minus two exposure compensations and then re-evaluated the images. What I found was that you want to get a feeling for the overall image. In other words, you're going to see the light and you're going to see the tree branches or you're going to see the house that the lights are attached to. Then shoot at the indicated exposure. But if you want to see the lights and the detail in the lights, you actually have to shoot at about minus one or minus two. So I re, thanks to the genius of Lightroom, I pulled up all the images that I had of some Christmas lights, and I looked at looked at all of them from previous years. And in those ones, rather than shooting in manual, I had shot in aperture priority so that the EXIF data on uh, on Lightroom uh, showed me my exposure compensation. And almost invariably, the ones that looked better as far as the lights were concerned was an underexposure of about minus one stop. So, with overexposure, which is uh, really detrimental to your image of the lights, that because as soon as you overexpose, and it's very easy to do this, all detail in the highlights will be lost. And the same applies to, you know, you go outside and you're photographing the front of the house, which has this elaborate display. And, yeah, you've got red specks and white specks and yellow specks and no detail. So, underexposing for the lights is the way to go if you want to do this. Well, I think that's a very important point because, as we've discussed so many times... <laughs> The camera's built-in light meter is going to take all those readings and try to average all of that into an exposure that renders middle gray. Mm -hmm. But you don't want everything in middle gray. Presuming if you want the lights to have the color, you want them to be in the middle. And that means everything that's not a light is going to have to be a bit darker. And the only way to get there is through use of some type of under exposure tool would be that in manual or in one of the semi-automatic or automatic modes using exposure compensation so the guidance in that regard is you've got the camera on the tripod you're already in place take the extra five to ten seconds and shoot a few you know shoot at zero shoot at minus one shoot at minus two shoot at minus three 
And you're going to have something there that you're going to like. Because you're really, you know, as we said at the beginning, you're asking for everything. I want lots of detail in the dark. And I want lots of detail in the highlight. And I want everything else perfect in between. Mm, you might not get there. It is quite happen. Even despite, you know, the new sensors have got this amazing dynamic range. This is actually a pretty difficult shoot from that perspective. But we don't want people to get caught up in the technical stuff because, well, the reason they're photographing holiday lights is because they're provoking an emotional response. So the creative, that is the photographer, should be looking to define what's the intent, what I want to capture, how do I want to get that emotion, and not get caught up in my exposure mode or how many stops. Just shoot until you get an image that looks decent. Check it on your, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have an electronic viewfinder, check it in there. And if you, if you don't, you know, look at the display on the back of the camera. It'll give you a pretty good hint. And remember, you've got some good range and availability to you in post-processing. To a point you made earlier, it's not common that the image straight out of camera is ideal in all areas. Mm-hmm. Something, one part might be great, other parts, maybe not. Well, just having uh, said all of this about the technology uh, aspects, two things. One, so we're talking about Christmas lights on a Christmas tree, but the same principle would apply if you, uh, I think I just mentioned this, if, uh, if you were shoot- if you're shooting the house or a panoramic scene of, of the Christmas tree, lights in the local community park or or anything uh that underexposure issue is is real but having said the technical issue and the things we should avoid i'm just going to throw this out there for argument's sake maybe this is a scenario where if you are proficient at shooting something like an hdr it might give you the light exposure and give you some detail in the darks that we may not see on a regular basis. I can't disagree with that. The challenge that I have with HDR in camera is that the final production is typically a JPEG file. Not true all the time, Um, but that means you've thrown away well over 70% of the detail. So let's presume that you're bracketing in your camera and you get multiple raw format shots. And that doesn't matter if it's a smartphone or not because smartphones can still do raw and they can do bracketing. Then the challenge is with the HDR software itself. How do I bias it to say, I want this and I want this, figure it out. And a lot of times you'll get something that looks nuclear or like nuclear fallout. Grandma, why is Polly glowing? <laughs> or it may not be which one, but you can certainly give it a shot. My only consideration is if you're going to do HDR, the usual automatic exposure bracketing in modern cameras, in my opinion, is insufficient. The camera sensors are so good these days, and I say these days anything put out in the last five to seven years that if you're going to bracket, you want to go way beyond plus or minus three. You want to okay. go down 
five stops. You want to go up five stops and give yourself a variety of images to work with, particularly if you look, because this is a challenging exposure situation. But you're right, HDR could work very well. But if you're going to do HDR, I think your favorite tool may be required. That, that tool. <laughs> that tool. Yes. The one you use all the time. What is that tool as a gentle reminder for people? It's got a ball head and three legs. Oh, one of, one those, of those tools. Yes, that oh, too. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think we beat the exposure triangle to death here. But surely, and don't call me surely. I wouldn't dare do that. <laughs> no discussion would be complete without discussion of what you and I really don't want to talk about. And that's the word bokeh. And I'm just going to kick this off by saying that is a word that I really test. Yeah, some people tell me I go off the handle, but that's okay. But this is a word, uh, as I've seen it, that has no origins. It has no roots that I have been able to find. But it seems to have taken over our thinking of photography. Thought it might be Japanese in its extraction, but they aren't owning up to any of that. So, there it is. Boca, it's prevalent, and I guess we should address it. Reluctantly. Yeah, okay. But if you're going to jump but... off the bokeh is BS cliff, <laughs> I'll be jumping with you. Because really... It doesn't mean anything. It's more an advertising and marketing term that lots of people think they understand and nobody does. The concept of bokeh refers to an aesthetic quality that is highly subjective for how the highlights of an out-of-focus area appear. Um, there's no bokeh for something that's completely dark. Bokeh occurs only in highlights. And then we go down this um, completely Rabbit. tangential and irrelevant rat hole about, well, how do I produce it better? How do I control the shape? Okay, listen, guys, this is simple physics. Lens apertures are constructed by blades. The blades may be straight edge. They may be curved edge. A lens might have seven blades, nine blades, 12 blades. And if they can really hook you in and reel you in good and take thousands of your dollars, that, that lens may have 14 blades. And all that means is that the out-of-focus highlight is going to look rounder than it looks like it has solid edges. Big whoop. What are you photographing for? Are you photographing for the lights? Or are you photographing because you think that bokeh matters. So not particularly meaningful. If you get some nice out-of-focus highlights that please you, awesome. And if you don't, focus on the subject, which you start out with was lights. Be they Christmas tree lights, 
be they the lights in the town square at the community park or whatever. That was the whole point of the exercise in the first place. Can you think of anything else? Yeah, I, I think the, the whole concept of Boca uh, notwithstanding, the, the, thing, the one thing that I find pleasing when looking at images of, of lights are these starburst effects that we more often than not get by accident. And to my eye, they are easy to create, they're attractive, and they have a tendency to add a certain uplift to the mood of the image. And really, to create them, all one has to do is, A, use the tripod, you know, the thing with the ball head and the three and legs. The three lights. Cool. And rather than shooting at a wide open aperture to get the bokeh, you go the other end and you shut down the aperture and you're shooting into the light and that will tend to produce the starburst effects, um, well, pleasingly. So... If you're going to try for things, that's another one you can try for. You had uh, something else. Well, I think I think that's a, I think I think that's a nice analogy too, because again, that starburst effect tends to go with the emotional mood of the holiday season, mm -hmm. particularly for those of a Christian background. The whole concept of the Christmas star mm -hmm. uh, is matters to them, uh, and I apologize if I don't know uh, whether that's relevant to others, but I don't know. But I would also encourage people that you can make very nice holiday light images if all you've got is your smartphone. The sensors are small, but the computational elements do a really fine job. Adding some simple kind of clamp and then bracing the smartphone will help you. And if your smartphone allows for manual exposure control, including ISO selection, so much the better, and most of them do. And if your smartphone can shoot in RAW, that's another bonus because you don't lose so much data due to image compression in the device. I like the idea, by the way, of that starburst, and I would interject being an old photographer. That doesn't mean that you need to go out to... Any cameras, Joe? Amazon, <laughs> and buy a star filter. If you really want that effect, take a piece of wire screen. You've got some yep. from when the last squirrel went through your screen door. <laughs> Squirrels are evil. Yes. And just pull that in front of the lens, and that's going to give you a starburst effect, even if you want to shoot at a wider aperture. But that starburst is going to destroy the bokeh. Oh, well. Win, Quel win. dommage. <laughs> win, win. So earlier we talked about the symbols of the, the season, stars as an example, and their inclusion in our images. When I was a kid, you know, 600 years ago or so, my parents had these beautiful but very fragile tree ornaments. I don't know that any of them have actually survived, but there are ornaments available today that are little works of art. So I will often like to do some close-up work with them and use the tree lights as the only source of illumination for them. Put some color into those reflective surfaces. I mean, I'm thinking of some of these ornaments 
that were very fine glass or metal. And I see some still today. They're not made the same way as they once were. But then again, they don't break if you blow on them. They're, they're a really nice thing that you can do some close-up work with. Mm-hmm. But over yep. time, and I credit you with this, I found that I don't need my macro lens for this. Right. I put my camera on the three-legged, three-legged thing. thing. No, we're, not we're, not we're brand, not... not the brand specifically. <laughs> I use a different brand of tripod, but I'll put my camera on that, and I'll use a longer focal length lens. You know, even in the house, I might use a seventy to two hundred, or even a one hundred to four hundred, because I'm on a tripod, mm-hmm. and I don't care about <laughs> camera shake. I can choose the amount of depth of field w- that I want and don't want. I'm not right on top of the ornament, and I can then avoid being part of the reflection that happens in it. So a standoff distance of six to eight feet and the longer focal length actually works really, really well. And some of these ornaments are really beautiful. Yep. And the added advantage of what you're just talking about is the the ornaments are usually sitting on top of a tree somewhere, which is against a window and the cars are passing by outside and uh, the one advantage of a really long lens is that your depth of field is like zero. Right. And anything that's in the background doesn't really matter. You have an ornament and an ornament only. And that adds to the attraction of, of what you just did. Well, that's a good point. And if you do happen to have your tree against a window where you've got a light, a lot of random light coming through, simple piece of black foam core behind the subject is going to eliminate that light from coming in to give you some isolation. Right. So it's pretty easy. So uh, I think we've pretty much done a lot of things out there. So for those who partake in Christmas stockings and stuff, stocking stuffers and things sitting on top of mantelpieces, Again, getting in close, uh, Christmas stockings hanging off the mantelpiece, only photographing the top of the stocking where all the decoration is can give you a whole new perspective on the way the image looks. I think that you're right because, I mean, think about it. It's the kids who really enjoy the Christmas stocking. They don't care about the stocking. No, they no. care about what's in the stock. Yep. So it, as you say, if you get close and all you get is just the top of that decorated stocking, maybe with something coming out of it, it's children's, usually chocolate. That's a really nice photograph. Yep. And it's non-traditional. Because if you go online and look for photographs of Christmas stockings, that you'll see. Photographs of Christmas stockings from 10 feet away. <laughs> Woohoo! I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on this seasonal topic. Gordon, I I hope that it's been helpful to our listeners. Um, Thanks to all who listen and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. Uh, We will be taking a break through the holiday season. We will return in January. You're probably busy and won't be listening anyway. (laughs) And uh, we'll give you a little bit of break, give ourselves a bit of a break. But we will return in January. Thanks to all who listen and subscribe, please, so you're notified of new episodes. For the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, I'm Ross. I'm Gordon. And we will talk to you 
in the new year if we don't do something really stupid between now and then. Which has never happened <laughs> in the last two days. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.